on my way to work. And next thing I know, I started smelling smoke. And I'm like, well, what is that? And next thing I know, smoke started pouring up out from the gear shift. And, and I was headed up a hill at that time. And, and I pulled over, jumped out, popped the hood on my car. And as soon as I popped the hood, flames are just shooting up out of the engine, hitting the bottom of the hood. And I run back and grab the few things I had in my, in my vehicle, which was a case of CDs. And I had a little small backpack. And I grabbed those two things and I literally flung them across the road. Happy National Best Friends Day and welcome back to Drive With Us Podcast, a podcast where we explore driving cultures around the world by bringing on a new guest each episode to talk about the crazy things they've experienced on the road, who they are as drivers, and how they became the driver they are today. I'm Bob Neat. And I'm Taryn G. Yes, she is. Yes, thank you. (laughs) This is the last episode of season three. I really can't believe we made it to the end. It went by so fast. The end? It's only the beginning. But I'm super excited for the changes that are coming for season four. Like, we're adding video, so I'm super excited for that. I can't believe we're able to get to the point where we can add video. Exciting. And next season will be dropping in September, so be sure to follow us on Instagram at Podcast or just visit our website at driverlesspodcast.com. Or sign up for our newsletter. (laughs) To stay up to date on the release of the next season and see other behind the scenes content. And also, if you are interested in coming on the show for season four, or if you know anyone who might be interested, have them fill out the interest form on our website, driverlesspodcast.com, or send us a DM with your suggestions. And as the season is coming to an end, we want to hear from you. Share with us your thoughts on the show, what you liked, what you didn't like, what you want us to do more of by filling out the feedback form attached in the show notes below. The first 10 people to fill it out will receive DWAP merch as a thank you. And let's get into today's driver. Today's drivers are Julie and Brandon. Julie is a freelance writer and blogger and Brandon is a software programmer. They RV full-time and have been on the road together for three years now. They sold their house and moved into a 42-foot fifth wheel with plans to travel the country. Just as they sold the house, COVID hit, but they decided to hit the road anyway. From June to October of 2020, they covered nine states. Julie and Brandon share their RVing tips, the ups and downs, and how to prepare yourself for life on the road. Let's meet today's drivers, Julie and Brandon. Welcome, Julie and Brandon. Thanks so much for joining us today. Good to be here. Thank you for having us. We're super excited to have you. And we had one RVer on before, but I know every RVer's experience is going to be different. And I'm sure you guys have some crazy driving stories associated with it. But before we jump into your actual driving stories, I'm curious to know, why did you choose RVing and what inspired you or what got you into being an RVer? It's something that I always wanted to do. And I always thought would be that thing that I did when I retired, like, I'll get old and one day I'll be done with all the other things that I have to do and I can just get in an RV and go travel the country. And then eventually it hit me that I work from home. All I need is the internet. So why not now? When we met, my my goal would have been, I don't know if anybody is aware of the tiny homes or the tiny home community, but that was my thought was to try to find some land somewhere in the middle of nowhere, preferably filled with internet connection and just get a little small home without so much square footage to have to, to keep up and maintain. And so my idea of a tiny home and her idea of a RV went hand in hand together. And 
we ended up in a 42-foot fifth wheel towed by a Ford F-450. While being an RVer, or even before you even got your RV and you were just driving a regular car, what would you say is the most craziest driving experience you had? Oh, I have probably several. At one time, I was real big into Jeeps and Jeeping. And so I have several experiences with off-road Jeeping. One in particular was we, we were exploring this one path that was basically driving through just middle of nowhere. Uh, I'm talking, you run out of, we, we no longer got a, a radio signal. And once we hit that spot, we kept going. We was in pretty much the middle of nowhere up in Tennessee. And we ended up going down some roads and paths that we ended up taking this one path and running up this one is up the side of this mountain. And as we went up the mountain, the, the road started getting narrower and narrower. And we finally get up to the to nearly the top and the road pretty much runs out. It just pretty much stopped. I was the second person in line and the the first person stopped because there was really nowhere else to go. I go to get out of my Jeep and we're as far over as close to the side of the mountain as possible. When I go to get out of the Jeep, I open the door and I look down and it's about a 40 to 50 foot straight drop down this mountain. I had to actually climb out of my Jeep and hold on to some trees and climb around my Jeep to get up and up to the, the person in front of me to see what was past us. So if, if I wouldn't have been paying attention, I could have definitely just stepped right out of my Jeep and, and pretty much fell 40 to 50 feet straight down. We, we ended up having to, to reverse and back down this mountain. I think I had to back down and reverse about half a mile or so, driving. We're at a good 45-degree angle in a vehicle. That, that really feels like you're, you're really pointing straight up. That was probably one of the more interesting driving off-road experiences. And then another experience I had was I've, I've actually had a vehicle catch on fire on me while I was driving to work one day. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that, that one was I had a 1981 Camaro. And my, my father and I, we had replaced a uh, carburetor on the engine, which mixes the air and the fuel and sends it into the engine so that it makes the engine go. I don't know whether we didn't hook everything up right. I, I'm quite sure one of the hoses that we replaced potentially had a, a pinhole leak in it, which let just a little bits of gas out. Or it could have been a faulty carburetor. We're, we're really not sure. But I was on my way to work, and next thing I know, I started smelling smoke. And I'm like, well, what is that? And next thing I know, smoke started pouring up out from the gear shift. And, and I was headed up a hill at that time. And, and I pulled over, jumped out, popped the hood on my car. And as soon as I popped the hood, flames were just shooting up out of the engine, hitting the bottom of the hood. And I run back and grab the few things I had in my, in my vehicle, which was a case of CDs. And my, I had a little small backpack. And I grabbed those two things and I literally flung them across the road. And I run back in the back and pop my trunk. And I had always carried a small fire extinguisher. And I pulled that fire extinguisher out and I started spraying my engine. That really didn't do anything. So I went back and I actually had another gallon of water for like a radiator. I always carried extra little things like that with me. And I started pouring that water on it. And that didn't really even do anything. And I'm already calling 911 while I'm in the middle of this, trying to get somebody out there to put my car out. I was sitting there just watching my car start to burn to the ground and a waste management truck, a, a garbage truck pulled up on the other side of the road. The guy got out and hollered at me and said, hey, come get this fire extinguisher. And I run over across the road 
and he handed me this really huge fire extinguisher. I grabbed it out of his hands and run over to my car, popped the pin, and I started spraying the car. The inside of the car, the console, where your dash and your CD player and all that stuff, all that was already starting to burn, and it was melting down into the floorboard. And I was able to hit all of that with the fire extinguisher, and I finally got it all out, handed the fire extinguisher back to the guy, and didn't even think to even tell him thank you or anything. He jumped back in the, in the garbage truck and kept on going. Never had a chance to thank him. But I finally had gotten it all out. And about 10 minutes later, the fire truck finally shows up. And it took them about another five or six minutes to figure out how to get the water running on their fire engine to start trying to douse the car to make sure it's all out. That was definitely an interesting experience, to say the least. Interesting. I'd say more like terrifying, but I mean, at least you were prepared. It didn't help, but you were prepared somewhat. Yeah, I was. I tried to be. It's one of those things. Not many people, I think, carries fire extinguishers or vehicles, but just so happened. I had one at that time. Unfortunately, it didn't help. And I still carry one to this day. Especially after that moment, I would think you would definitely carry one now. Well, being an RV, we carry four or five now. But we definitely keep one in the truck, too. Yeah, and all of them are fairly big size. They're not the little small ones that you put, like, in the kitchen. They're the house-size fire extinguishers. I've actually had to put a, another vehicle on fire before, also, that was on fire before also, where, where I used to live before we sold my house and we got into an RV. It was an intersection there, and there was a lot of wrecks there. Normally, I feel like people don't experience at least one car fire, and you've experienced more than one. Yeah, I, I guess I'm just that unlucky. <laughs> so speaking of your RV, when you went to go find your first RV, what was that experience like? And are you in that same one now? We're still in the, the original one that we bought. Before we bought this, we had been looking and shopping for probably two years. Every time we thought we knew what we wanted, like we were set on, on a fifth wheel at one point. We thought we were going to do a toy hauler so that we could have an office space in the back. And then we d decided that we didn't want to do that. And so then we were looking at a class A for a while and we're pretty well set on that. But the way the process went when we were finally ready to buy was that I had sold my house and basically I had a certain amount of money that I was willing to put into this. And all the class A's that we could find that we felt confident weren't going to leave us stranded on the side of the road were a little bit beyond that price point that I had. And so we started basically from scratch, going through all the RV lots and finally found this particular layout that we're in, which is the 42 foot fifth wheel with a very large front bathroom. So that was the, the selling point on this particular rig. And I'm like, of all the things that I need in a house, I need a comfortable bed and I need a comfortable bathroom. Everything <laughs> else is negotiable, but give me a comfortable bathroom. And so when we found this layout, I was like, this is it. What I found really interesting was that you mentioned that you drove really far to get this RV. Like, I don't know if this is normal, but like the other RVer that we talked to drove halfway across the country to get his RV. And I think you say you drove like 900 miles. Yeah, it doesn't seem completely abnormal, but I, I wouldn't say it's the norm either. For us, it came down to we found this layout that we wanted and we knew we weren't going to buy new. We were going to let somebody else take that hit. So it became shop around and try to find, A, where, where we could even find a used version of the layout that we wanted, which is not the most common layout, but literally the closest ones we could find were six or 700 miles away. And 
then we found this one and it happened to be 900 miles away, but it also happened to be about $10,000 cheaper. So it, it was definitely worth that drive. What was it like driving with this for the first time? A lot easier than I expected. <laughs> I will start with that. But before we got this RV, the, the longest thing that I had pulled before then was an 18-foot car hauler trailer, which is it's an 18-foot trailer that's, that's designed to carry vehicles, which I would use to carry my Jeep to go do the off-roading and what we call wheeling. That's what I would pull to, to carry my Jeep. So we went to, to pick up this fifth-wheel RV, and I had used a Drove around fifth wheels before when I was in my early 20s. I used to work for a uh, work at a, a co-op or a fertilizer plant, which we had big semi-trucks and we had these semi-truck trailers that we would use to carry grain and things like that out from our facility to other places. Now, I never drove those on the road because I'm not licensed, et cetera, but I did have to move them around and so I was familiar with how fifth wheels, how they would turn and how you back them up and pull them, et cetera, versus what you call a bumper pull or one that's hooked up to a hitch. What I was not familiar with was how to deal with the length that this thing was. And so Julie went in and signed the papers and, and everything was good. And they come out and shook her hands and said, have fun with it. And that was that. Once we got hooked up and, and we got pulled out to where we could get to the road, and it was that first couple of few miles, which was straight to an RV park, was a little, it was a little discerning because we was hearing certain things and things were happening that we weren't quite expecting. And, and one of those major things that originally scared us, but turned out to be not a big deal, is a lot of these RVs have this system on the hitch that connects to your vehicle that will shift and move a little bit to take some of the what they call chucking where the the rv wants to keep going forwards where the truck is not moving forward because of say bumps or dips in the road etc and so this rv was doing this this chucking thing and we were feeling that hearing that and it it concerned us we was like is something broke did we not hook something up right what, what's going on we finally got it into the rv park and got settled and it was like okay we're good for a week we're going to research this and and that's where you know we went back to the youtube and started reading on what this is you skipped over you having to park the rv for the first time uh, that we the, the first place was well in rvs there you have basically two different types of sites you have a pull through site which is where you just drive straight through with your rv and you park you just drive straight through you sit down and you're good the other kind is a back end where you have to actually navigate back up into the spot fortunately Julie was smart enough to make sure that we got a pull through site so that we wouldn't have to worry about backing this thing up the first day we got it unfortunately Brandon doesn't pay attention to the roads and the road signs very well as we were coming into this park and I missed a turn to turn left to get to our site I get past that turn in and I realized that I did. And so I'm like, hey, well, I'm going to have to back up this road so that I can I can catch this turn here that I need to make. So I had Julie get out and we're on the phone. She's talking to me, trying to tell me, okay, because it's fairly narrow. And, and I start trying to back this thing up. And luckily, one of the maintenance guys that works at the park come through and like, what, what are you doing? What's going on? And I'm like, look, man, 
we just bought this thing. We, I have been hooked up to this thing for about 15 minutes. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm trying to get over here. And so I'm trying to back up here and I couldn't keep going forward because there was a gate and it was like a dead end. And he was like, tell you what, just follow me. I'll lead you through this gate and we'll circle back around and you'll be able to make that turn. I was like, oh, awesome. I followed him. He's on a little golf cart and he drove me up to this gate and opened the gate. And we circled around and was able to finally get into our RV spot. Just to back up a little bit, this is the first week of September in lower Florida, so it was 90-something degrees outside, and he had already spent a good hour just trying to hook our hitch up to the rig to even get it connected to the truck. It was just, it was miserable, and all we really wanted to do was get in the house and get the water hooked up so we could take a shower, but then when we went to hook up the water hose, we were about 10 feet too short, and at this point, we're, we're just like, well, I don't know what to do, so we're just done. We're, we're going to Walmart. We're, we're buying another water hose. And that's what we did. And we came back, got everything hooked up, got our showers. And then after the fact, when it was all done and we had had a shower and had time to think about it, it's like, wait, we could have hooked the house back up to the truck and moved it 10 feet so we could actually reach everything. But just that first time out, you don't know what you're doing. And there was so much of that on that trip of just the little little things that you learn. And we're still we're still doing it. There's some mistakes we've still made repeatedly. We just, we keep going. Luckily, the driving part has been relatively easy. It's almost always the parking that causes us problems. Yeah, that sounds crazy. And I think you said, mentioned before that you have this system down where like you're outside and he's driving and use like wireless headsets to communicate and guide each other. Yeah, luckily we do. We've, we've seen so many people who are, you know, are trying to park their rig and, and you'll see one of them outside just screaming and yelling and pointing and, and doing all these things. And the person in the truck can't hear them. They can't see them. It creates frustration. And there's this ongoing joke that, you know, if you've not gotten divorced while par- trying to park your RV, you, you don't really RV. We've never really had an argument while trying to park the RV because of the way that we do things. We get on our phones you know, we both use our wireless headsets and a lot of it comes from his background with jeeping and with having to guide people through questionable situations. So he taught me that language. Instead of go to the right or go to the left, which is what we usually hear people screaming, it's always you need to take the tail to the passenger side or it needs to be more to the driver's side. Things like that. Our method of communication is such that there's no there's no screaming or yelling. Somebody in the next side over, they won't even hear us. And we've had that comment the next morning. People wake up and they're like, oh, we have new neighbors. We never heard you come in. We're shocked. And it's like, yeah, we don't feel the need to make the whole town know that we're here. <laughs> like We're just that awesome, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned earlier that you are recent RVers. I think you mentioned that you, you started full-time RVing right before the pandemic hit, right? We bought the rig a little over a year ago, and we've technically lived in it full-time since then and had done a few trips, but most of our movement had been within a 100-mile radius of our hometown. But then Brandon sold his house in late spring, so right after everything went into quarantine and shut down for the pandemic was when he sold his house, and then we hit the road. And so we've been full-time traveling RVers since June. That must have been a very different experience having to travel during the pandemic since you have been to so many different places. 
Have you noticed while driving any, if there are any particular types of drivers in different areas? Most definitely. What I have noticed is Memphis is just one of those. It's just absolutely terrible drivers. Memphis, Tennessee, West Memphis, Arkansas. It's just absolutely terrible drivers with terrible roads. Every road we got on there just felt like it was pretty much in a state of disrepair. And then we got out west, and and one of the things that I noticed out more in the Midwest, out, you know, Iowa, South Dakota, not really Colorado, but also Texas, some of those bigger states, I noticed that a lot of the roads, people don't really cluster as much as it seems like they do in, say, the southeast. Colorado, some of the, like some of the bigger areas, and, and it's probably because it's so open. I felt more at ease driving through Iowa, driving mostly through Missouri, as long as you stay on the paved roads. That's another story. But, you know, if you get into Iowa, we was in South Dakota, all those states, it was just super easy driving. Everybody was, was totally cool on the road. Everybody would give you your space and be fairly courteous, especially us being as big as we are, you know, we have to merge onto or off of a road or interstate or whatnot. People would give us our space and, and, and be courteous in South Dakota. And I believe it was a lot of people that just wasn't from the area or, or just didn't care. There was a lot of people carrying their RVs that I felt were traveling much faster than they should have and, and definitely traveling much faster with the crosswind that was pushing them. It looked like they were pushing their RVs around a little bit. So they were swaying. Their RV was swaying back and forth. They didn't care. They were still going to run the 75 or 80 mile an hour speed limit that it was out there. And that was a little concerning. Now, Colorado, especially around the Denver area, I really felt like the, the drivers around the Denver area, they made it their mission to cut you off, to cut in front of you, just to break and catch an exit, to try to speed up past you to get in, even though there's really not room between you and the person in front of you. And that's just with us driving our regular truck the speed limit or maybe a little bit more just depending on what the flow of traffic is doing and you still would have people that felt like everybody else was driving half the speed limit they were going that much faster trying to zip and zoom around everybody like everybody had somewhere they had to be 10 minutes ago denver sounds just like the east coast have you ever been like more north on the east coast i have been around the dc area and baltimore but I didn't drive it. I, I was actually with a, a co-worker of mine. We were up there for work and he did all the driving. And I think it was around Baltimore. No, no, it was around Arlington, Virginia. And we were having to drive from a hotel in Arlington over to George, the George Washington, I think it's a George Washington airport. I'm not sure which one it is, but we were out in just terrible rush hour traffic and it was bumper to bumper and just absolutely terrible feeling. Like I was so glad I was not having to drive that. I have actually driven out there. I drove from Alabama to DC and back at least once to move my stepdad down here. And it was not fun, but I would say that I would still take DC over driving Atlanta. And while I was in DC for that trip, he actually guided me to the, my first successful parallel parking because that's not something that you have to do around here. And I've never really had to do it. And I didn't want to do it there, but he was like, you don't have a choice because you got to park and this is where you're going to park it. And I'm going to show you how and tell you what to do. He did an excellent job of you know, telling me exactly how to torque the wheel and what to do in order to get into this pretty tight parallel spot with the truck. But yeah, that it's not, not someplace I would choose to drive. And I don't think I'd want to even be in the rig 
driving through that area. But I think to me, the worst place that we've had to drive through with the rig was the interchanges of Dallas-Fort Worth, just going from like the north side of DFW to the south side. That stressed me being in the passenger seat more than driving Atlanta. Wow. D.C., Baltimore, that's our neck of the woods. And I totally understand how crazy it is. I can't believe your first parallel parking experiences was there in D.C. And in a truck. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure I had parallel park before because we have our downtown area. There's parallel parking, but it's almost always open enough that you can pull through a couple of spaces to get to one without having to actually parallel park. Yeah. And D.C., I feel like the parallel parking spots are very, very tight. But going into what type of driver you are, I know you've mentioned earlier that Brandon typically drives when you have the RV. Are you ever planning on driving the RV? And if given the option, would you prefer to be the driver or the passenger? I do want to learn how to drive the RV. And a piece of that is just being somewhere where I feel confident to be able to even try. We're constantly on the lookout for a really large parking lot to where Brandon could show me what to do. The other option is to find an RV driving school, which they do exist, but they're closer to larger cities. And then when the pandemic hit, it's just gone off the radar a little bit. But I think in general, I'm definitely more the passenger. I mean, I I like to drive if I'm the only one in the car. Like I have zero qualms about driving. It's just, I get really, I get more nervous when there's somebody next to me. I prefer to be the driver. And mostly that's because if you're riding in the passenger seat, there's really nothing to do except maybe browse your phone or, uh, you know, look out the window or whatever. And if I'm driving, I'm already looking out the window. But if I'm on my phone in the passenger seat, I tend to get car sick if I'm sitting there trying to read something. So it doesn't really do me very good to be sitting in a vehicle for hours on end and not have anything to do except look out the window my preference that if I'm going to be in the in the vehicle, I might as well just be driving. And maybe it's a little bit of a control factor. And as far as what type of driver, when I was younger, I was definitely the speed demon. I, I've got plenty of stories about things that I should not have done as a technically licensed driver. But had I got caught on a couple of those things, I'm sure I would have gotten at least a couple of tickets each time. Nowadays, though, especially with the truck that we have, it's it's a 2014 Ford F450. It weighs about around nine to nine nine thousand to 9,500 pounds just by itself. It's it's a 22 foot long vehicle and it doesn't stop very easily. So I've definitely slowed myself down over the years. I'm still an adrenaline junkie, but I don't go looking for it. I don't have my vehicles to give me that option anymore because I would probably, if I had a, a really nice sports car, I would have to see what it could do from time to time and doing it once I would want to do it again and again and it would it would all come back but nowadays I feel like I'm I'm more of a relaxed just stay here I'm going to be in the right hand lane I'm I'm cool right here well it's a good thing I guess that you have your truck and RV to slow you down Julie would you agree with his driving type in my experience with him I've not experienced that speed demon side of him thankfully so I mean to me he's just He's a good driver. I have no qualms at all being in the passenger seat with him. He just takes it slow and and easy, which I appreciate. Speaking of driving, and while driving, you probably experienced so many annoying drivers. So what would you say is your biggest driving pet peeve? Left-hand drivers, hands down, that's number one for me. I cannot stand somebody that stays in the left-hand lane. For me, it's texting and driving. 
like people who are more concerned with whatever is going on in their car or in front of them than they are with the actual road. It, it scares me and it bothers me. Even if whatever it is that they're doing isn't necessarily directly affecting me, which if I've noticed it, it is obviously affecting me in some way because they're doing something that's impeding my ability to drive. It just, it, it infuriates me to a large degree. Yeah, I can agree with you on that. I feel like that's very dangerous, but a lot of people do it and they don't realize that they're putting not only their life at risk, but they're also putting like everyone else around them at risk because anything can happen considering they're not paying attention to the road. Has any of these drivers that were annoying to you or get on your nerves, has any of them ever had road rage towards you or have you ever had road rage yourself? Oh, I definitely get road rage. I will definitely have, have some choice words between myself and the windshield on, on the craziness that I'm seeing other people doing. The, the only example of road rage for me personally that I can remember would have been somebody who pulled out in front of me to then go 10 to 15 miles below the speed limit. And so they basically cut me off first and then slowed down. And then every time I would try to change lanes to get around them, they would change lanes and do that thing where you're trying to speed up to get past them. So then they finally speed up. You just, you can't get around them. And I actually ended up getting a ticket over that particular incident because as this is happening and I'm trying to get around this person, a cop sees it and tags me for speeding. Those are the most annoying as driver. And it's, it's even worse that you got pulled over. Right. I can't believe that driver was, it seems like he knew what he was doing and he was doing it on purpose to like get on your nerves. I, I totally feel that way. So now that we know a little bit about the type of drivers that you are, let's go back to your driving first. How would you describe your first time driving experience and who was it with? For me, I, I think everybody has that, like, you're five years old or something and somebody puts you on their lap and lets you control the wheel while they take the pedals. I had that at five. But then, like, my first time actually, like, trying to drive the car by myself would have been when I was 15. I had got my permit and my mom's trying to teach me how to drive in this giant land yacht. And she took me to, like, a school parking lot. I was just so uncomfortable between the size of the car and my mom being in the passenger seat that... I, I just freaked out. I was like, I can't, I can't do it. And my mom basically threw her hands up too and was like, yeah, this isn't going to happen in this car. And I was like, I'm just going to wait for driver's ed. And then I get into driver's ed. And the first time we all go out, it's a driving instructor and three students. So when it came my turn to drive, I'm that much more nervous because now I've not only got the teacher next to me, but I've got two of my peers. And so we're driving down the road and we're in these, I went to high school out in the country. So there's these back roads that are like really curvy two-lane country roads and we'd come up behind a tractor on the road and the driving instructor's like okay now you need to pass the tractor and I was scared to pass a tractor that's going 10 miles an hour that's how scared of driving I was and so after that first time like he put me back in in study hall and we're a, a couple of weeks from the end of the semester and he comes and gets me and it's just me and him he's done with everybody else and he takes me out and puts me on these same roads same tractors and he's like, we're going to do these windy roads until you're comfortable. It was probably the best thing that could have happened because by the time we were done with that semester, I had no issues whatsoever. And I, in a way, probably went the opposite direction because I was so much of a speed demon to a degree at that point and just too comfortable that by the time I actually got my license and got to go out and drive with a friend in the car for the first time. And I really hope my mom doesn't actually listen to this podcast because she doesn't know the story. <laughs> 
we're driving down this really curvy road, had my best friend in the, in the passenger seat and hit this curve that's probably about a 45 degree angle. Hit it probably too fast, but come into the curve and the car just does a 360, just spun all the way around. And then just hit the gas again and took off like nothing happened. And my mom has never heard that story, I don't think. Oh my gosh. I know. If she knew that, she probably never would have let me drive again. Yeah, I bet. Our driver's ed, we, it was always just one-on-one. I never had that experience of having other students in the car. So I can imagine how nervous or nerve-wracking that must have been with other people. Not only you're like nervous because there's a, the driver instructor in the car watching you, but you also have two other students judging your driving. So were you guys able to pass your driving test on the first attempt? Yeah, I, I was. I had gotten a lot of driving experience beforehand, and so I was I was able to jump in and, and take it. I was a little concerned. It, it was kind of freaky because here, I don't know about other states, but here you actually take your driver's test with a state trooper. You know, I'm sitting in a vehicle, and then obviously the state trooper's sitting right next to me, and that freaked me out a little bit. But yeah, I was able to get through it first trial with no problems. Yeah, I passed it on the first time. I don't really remember much about it at this point or how well I actually did. So you're mentioning that you took the test with a state trooper? Yeah, at least in the county that I took my driver's ed test, it's actually a state trooper, part of the police unit, that are the ones that I think gives the test as well as the written test as well as the actual driving test. Your driving test rules and stuff are very different down there. Did you have to parallel park on your driving test? I did not, which was a super concern for me. The day before, my dad and I, we actually went to town. I took my test on a Monday, and so the day before was a Sunday. And in the town that I'm from, pretty much everything is shut down on Sunday, up around the courthouse, and which is where we would go to take the driver's test at the time. Nobody was there. So my dad actually took me up the day before to make me practice parallel parking because I was concerned about that. But yeah, no, we... I've never had to parallel park at all in my driver's test. I think they technically had us do it on our test, but I think it was, like I said, where several spots were open and it wasn't you had to pull in and do the three point, get it in just right. We were pretty much able to just, oh, pull through these two spots and end up in a a parallel parking space. You were allowed to do that? (laughs) No, right? I don't know. I passed. I don't care. (laughs) I do remember one of the tests that she did give us when I was given my test was I had to park next to a curb. She had me pretend that this is either, I can't remember whether it was uphill or downhill. So she was like, pull over and park at this curb, imagining that it is downhill, which she was testing me to make sure that I would turn my steering wheel the correct way. That's interesting. We never got tested on that, but that's a good skill to get tested on and know, especially if you do end up going somewhere where you have to park on a hill. So that's great. After you got your driver's license, did you ever get a ticket? I've had a few. (laughs) I think the first ticket that I had, I was 16. My mom was in the car with me and I pulled up to a stop light and for some reason my brain thought it was a stop sign probably because I was used to being out in the county where that's really all we had we didn't have any stop lights out in the area that we lived in and driving around and pulled up at the stop light and the traffic was clear so I went because that's what you do at a stop sign as soon as I went through that red light one I realized what I'd done and then I also immediately realized that there was a police officer right behind me and so I just went ahead and just pulled off I was like I- I'm getting pulled over I'm just gonna pull on over 
And the cop was decent about it because I did pull right over. You know, I explained to him what happened, but I still got the ticket. Yeah, I have gotten four, I believe it is. First one was a speeding ticket. I think it was two or three months after I turned 16. I'd gotten a speeding ticket in a, in a little speeding trap area that they had set up. The second one was a failure to use a turn signal because I had switched lanes. And at that time, I was actually in my Camaro that I had that, I, that eventually caught fire on me. And I was young. And the funny thing is, it was the same cop that got me for my speeding ticket back when I first turned 16. The third one was I was sitting in the turning hand lane and I had pulled up through into the intersection to turn left and the lights on my side turned red. And I assumed apparently incorrectly that the side, the cross traffic road, the road that was running perpendicular had turned green. Well, I'm sitting in the middle of the intersection. So I've got right away, or at least I thought I did, to make my turn because the intersection has to get clear before the other road can go. Unfortunately, what had happened was that the lights had turned red on my side so that the turning lane could go green on the other side of the road from me. And I thought I needed to go, so I went. And when I went, a state trooper happened to see me do that and nailed me for uh, running a red light, which, you know, I wanted to fight him a little bit on it, but there's no fighting a state trooper. And then another one was an area that they had recently reduced the speed limit. I know for a fact the speed limit was 55, and they had recently come through and dropped it down to 50. And I didn't notice the speed limit sign because of a car that had about three or four more people in the back seat than they should have. I mean, they had like eight or nine people in this vehicle, and I was trying to get around them. And just so happened it was in the exact same area that they had just dropped the speed limit sign. The cops were sitting there using it as a speed trap. And so I got I got pulled over for that, too. That's my four tickets. I can't believe you remember every ticket you've gotten. <laughs> yeah. My craziest ticket was the one that I got from a bus driver. There was not even a police officer involved in this ticket. I got a call one day asking if I drove such and such a car. I was like, yeah. You know, were you driving it at this time at this place? I'm like, yeah. And then a few days later, I get a ticket in the mail for passing a bus that was stopped, a school bus. And I'm like, I didn't even, re I mean, I, I vaguely recalled the bus, but they didn't have like a stop arm out or anything. And like down here in Alabama, there's almost, there's, they always have a stop arm that comes out to tell you, you know, that they're stopped and you need to stop and don't pass because people are getting on and off the bus. And that's if there's any buses because they're not that common, or at least they weren't at the time in the area that, that I'm from. But then I had moved to Michigan, which is where this happened. School buses were the norm. So this bus had stopped and I went around it and then got mailed with a ticket. But I fought it and showed up at court. And I was the only one who showed up at court. The bus driver didn't show up. The police officer who actually wrote the ticket that wasn't actually at the thing, you know, he didn't show up. So basically it was like, since nobody showed up, the judge just threw it out. So going back to Brandon's tickets real quick, you mentioned that you got a ticket for failure to turning on your signal. That's something that's highly common here in Maryland. Like no one uses their signal. So I feel like if that same police officer was here, people would be getting tickets left and right. <laughs> Nobody does down here either. That goes back to it being that same cop that we felt was targeting younger people. The thing that I forgot I failed to mention was there was this van that was just in front of me. It was just a work van. Like I think there was like plumbing or, or painting or something. And they made a turn. They didn't even have to use their turn signal. And then I don't even recall their, their brake lights even working. 
but he didn't see that. He saw me in my Camaro jumping in the in around in another lane to get around some people, and he decided that I needed a ticket, so he gave me one. Yeah, sometimes you're just like wondering if it's just always your luck. <laughs> I also heard numerous times that going to court is the best way to drop tickets because most of the time the police officer doesn't show up. So it sounds like that's what happened in your case, Julie. Brandon, since you did get these multiple tickets, did you get these points dropped or are they on your license now? Well, they were years ago. So even if I had gotten uh, points, they, they're all gone by a long shot. But a few of them I went to, uh, to driving school for. The first speeding ticket and the turn signal ticket, I went to driving school for those because it was either you pay the ticket or you pay the 50 or 100 bucks. I think it was 50 bucks. You pay the 50 bucks and show up to defense and driving school, and that's all you pay, and then it's knocked off your record. The state trooper ticket for the, I think it was a failure to yield, was officially what it was. I would have had to pay the ticket as well as go to driving school. And if I went to driving school, it would knock it off my record, but I still had to pay the ticket. I've showed up to court for two, the one with the bus, and then I had one other one that was a failure to yield, but also was in Michigan. That one, I only went to court because it was a case where the line to stop and the road were 15 feet apart. So pretty much if you stopped at the line, you were going to have to go forward in order to be able to see the traffic to know when you could go. And that's what I had done. I had actually stopped at the line and then rolled forward and then yielded again to make sure the traffic was good. And that's when I got stopped and was given a ticket. And I attempted to fight that one, but didn't work out for me. So I've got a 50-50 record on, on attempting to fight and it working out. Well, that definitely seems that was not your fault. I agree. Bonus question time. Are you guys ready? Bring it on. Let's go. If you could make one new driving law, what would it be? Honestly, I just wish they would reinforce some of the ones they've already got. I have to think about that a minute. They should retest every 20 years, which I guess at this point I would be more than due to be retested. There should be some interval for actually retesting, whether it's at minimal the paper and the eyesight test or go so far as actually retest the driving test because I feel like there are just way too many people on the road who have completely forgotten everything they ever knew when they took the driving test. So would you say that that's something that if it was required every 20 years that it should be the same fee that it was when you went to go take your driver's license the first time or should it be like a reduced cost or something that the state would cover for you to retake? I would say maybe a reduced cost. I mean you already have to pay to actually renew your license every so many years. I think it's every four years here. So just make that part of maybe raise the, the cost of renewal every four years, but then incorporate that cost over time. So you're not like getting hit with it. You know, all of a sudden, every X number of years you're having to pay. Truth be told, I, I would totally be fine with that. The retesting every, every X number of years, just because there's so many people out there that you can test at 16 and then they never look at the rules or the, the laws or anything ever again for pretty much as long as they drive. And some way to reinforce or retrain people on the simple thing of using their turn signals. Stay out of the left lane unless you're passing. Some of the other things that don't know if there's actually a law for or not, but definitely on uh, on merging. If you're merging onto an interstate, get up to speed as you're coming up the on-ramp and then merge over. Don't try to jump over at 45 and 50 miles an hour. That's, that's 
that's how you that's how you cause issues. I don't remember if there's a law for that, but if there isn't, that would be my law. <laughs> and if that one already exists, I, I definitely agree with Julie on on some sort of retraining or some sort of recertification process to make people and remind people to to be more lawful. And truth be told, I wish you could make a law for courteousness. That's really what I wish you could do. That would be a good law. I don't know how you would implement it, but that would be a good one. <laughs> I, I don't either. I mean, just everybody get back to having some common decency for everybody else on the road. If you're bumper to bumper traffic and somebody's trying to get in, let them in. You letting somebody in, it's not going to affect you sitting in standstill traffic. So tying it back into your RV life right now, for those that are listening, do you have any advice or tips if they want to get into RVing? Watch a lot of YouTube. Don't just watch one channel or just the good stuff. Make an effort to seek out the bad side of RV life, the things that can go wrong, the, the accidents, the, the things that break, all of that. Be as aware of the negatives as you are the positives. Because I feel like most of the YouTube channels and stuff, like they really play up the positives and how much fun it is. And, and it is. I mean, I'm not, not trying to dissuade anybody from doing it, but I feel like making that effort to really be aware of what can go wrong not only does it give you a more realistic view of what you're getting into so that it's not all sunshine and rainbows, but it makes it so that when stuff does go wrong, it's not the end of the world. I would agree with that. Do the research. Don't necessarily just jump into one and think everything's going to be sunshine and rainbows because it definitely isn't. And you don't stop easy when you're that big and when you're, you're driving, you need to have way more attention into detail on everybody's driving, what they're doing, so that you know what's going on up a quarter mile up. You start seeing a bunch of, a bunch of brake lights, go ahead and start braking. There's no reason to get there any sooner, especially when you're in an RV, because you know what? You can just pull over into a rest area and climb in the back and take a nap if you absolutely have to. There's no reason to be in a rush. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. I think people only look at the positive and they're like, oh, this is so great. But it's very important to be aware of the negatives, too. Yeah, I can imagine that. Do you think there should be a separate license requirement before you get behind the wheel of this, especially the size that you have? I hesitate to say yes, because I really <laughs> have to go get one. I really don't want to get one. So I appreciate it. But it's, yes, I do. <laughs> so it looks like we might have lost, but I just have your own RVing. Could you tell us a little bit about that and where can I share about like our average life, places that we go, I blog about the things happen. The, the joining us today, it was really fun and interesting to hear your RVing. Well, we appreciate I hate lost Brandon. Get an imaginary thanks from Brandon. <laughs> <laughs> I know he would say thank you and he invited us on. As do I could not imagine my car catching on fire. Like that's something I feel like you hear about. Or see in movies, not in real life. But I know we had another guest on season two mention a car fire or witnessing a car fire. And then Brandon this season mentioned his car catching on fire. Like, how common are car fires? Yeah, I don't know. I didn't think they were. But I mean, I guess in a warmer area, they're probably more common. But the other story from Jay's episode last season, it was in Boston. That's true. Maybe it was during the summer. Why doesn't get that warm up there? <laughs> oh no! But hearing how prepared Brandon is for emergencies, it makes me under re- feel underprepared. Yeah, it makes me think like I am not prepared at all for nope. anything to happen on the road. Like that's not good at all. <laughs> I have a kit, but I'm not prepared. 
Like, I don't even have a car jack in my car. And the amount of times it get flats, I probably should have that. Yeah. But now it's making me think that I need to have a fire extinguisher, too. Apparently, because you never know if you need it. Do you know how to use one? No. You I do. Went, yeah, I know. I went through training, <laughs> but I don't remember. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I wish I did. That's the thing, like, with that kind of training, they, like, show you how to do it. But I'm never, it's never going to go in my head until I actually Hands do it on. myself. Yeah. And then the emergency is going to come and I'm going to be like, oh, <laughs> fire extinguisher, turn on. <laughs> turn on. I command thee. <laughs> but if you were to get a ticket, hypothetically speaking, like, I hope you don't actually get a ticket <laughs> from a police officer. But which one of those situations that they got tickets for, either Brandon or Julie, would you rather get one for? I am kind of shocked that failure to use a signal is something that someone gets a ticket for because the amount of people that don't do it here everyone will be getting tickets left and right that's probably why it's not something that is given tickets for because it's just like everyone does it even the police officers do it so so then i will pretend i will fail to use a signal and then i won't i'll get out of said ticket because it's like nobody does it so you get pulled over and they're like uh you know why I'm pulling you over? No. No. You forgot to use your signal. Oh, uh, well, no one else is. Oh, okay, fine. You can go now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what about you? What would you? That would never happen. No, nope, would... but I can think about, I can hope. Um, I don't know because like, I don't know what the actual points associated with each of these traffic violations are. I have a feeling that like speeding or running a red light or school bus, those three are got to be the big ones. Yeah. So... I don't know. I've, I'm kind of leaning towards probably just speeding ticket because it, I don't know how bad the others would be on your record, you know? Like, speeding, everyone does it, you know? But, like, those other... If you had, like, everyone has speeding, speeding, speeding on their ticket and you're the one who has accidentally ran a red light. Like, yeah, well, I mean, like, what if you had forgot to use turn signal? People would be like, okay, <laughs> you <idiot>. forgot. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. but I have accidentally run a red light. <laughs> Not on purpose at all. But I accidentally ran it in Georgia. <laughs> that was That was confusing. We were trying to determine really hard if it was red or not. Like it looks green. Oh no, that was red. Whoops. That <laughs> it was, was like red. as we were passing through the intersection. It's like, well, it's too late. I can't back up now. I'm already going through. <laughs> Good thing there was no cameras there. <laughs> there was a car on the other side. They're probably looking at us like you Marylanders, crazy Marylanders. Out of staters, is that what yeah. you do up there? <laughs> You don't see half of what we do. I just hate the way they're making new traffic lights now where it's just so reflective that you can't even tell what color is on. Like, is the red yeah. light on? Is the green light on? You don't know. It's yeah, like, Your so guess confusing. is as good as mine. <laughs> Probably better because we could not tell. We were sitting there for a good 30 seconds like, is it red? Is it green? Is it red? Green. Maybe yellow? That long? Nah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, it must have turned by now. And then I like, Maybe like, it turned red by the time we decided that it was green. That's because there was a car sitting on the other side. And, like, the sun hit it, and I thought it changed the way the sun yeah. hit the traffic signal. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh, okay, it turned green. And then as I'm going, I'm like, looked up, and I'm like, oh, no, it's still red. Looked at the other side, and I'm like, oh, that side's definitely red. <laughs> what? <laughs> Oops. Yeah. It was not intentional, though. No. Well, that was Julie and Brandon's stories. If you or anyone you know has any crazy driving stories and would like to come on the show for season four or five or six and so on, 
all the seasons. <laughs> you can fill out the interest form on our website at drivewithuspodcast.com. And don't forget to come hang out with us on our Discord channel. So in the meantime, we can still hang out and chat driving. So the link for that is in the show notes below. And we will see you soon. Thanks for driving with us. <laughs>